when I used to travel prior to COVID, um, I actually got my new passport a couple weeks ago. I'm pretty stoked about that and uh, looking to see what God's going to do with all of that. Um, but I'd, I'd go to Trinidad, and I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you go to Trinidad, and um, you, you use, uh, take your American money, and you take it to the Cambio, and they give you their currency. And then you spend their currency, and then at the end, you would take now the Trinidadian money, and you'd go back to the Cambio, or you'd go somewhere, and you'd want American dollars for it, and they wouldn't give you any. And uh, so you ended up taking back some Trinidadian money, or you spent it there. I found out going to Jamaica numerous times. Back when Ashley was little in the mid-90s, I was going maybe 14, 15 times a year um, and preaching all in uh, the central part of Trinidad. And I would come back always with a handful. I tried to spend money. I, my wife will tell you I try to do that now, but with American money. But I, I would always come back with a handful of change. I'd come back with some money, and it was pretty money. Same thing in the Bahamas. Same thing in Haiti. Only the money in Haiti, dude, you can squish it, and it, it has juice dripping out of it. And uh, yeah, it's not real sanitary. But anyways, so I have a little drawer, and I have all these different kinds of currencies. And, you know, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take all these currencies and I'm going to go to Walmart and uh, I'm going to go buy some stuff and I'm going to give them, uh, oh, what about Canadian money, y'all? Any of y'all ever try to use Canadian money at Walmart? <laughs> or use it somewhere? Have you ever tried to use it? And people are like, hey, we don't take that here, right? And, or somebody look say, wow, what kind of dime is that? Oh, it's from Trinidad. Oh, we don't take that here. Oh, no, this is a quarter from, from Nicaragua. No, we don't take that here. And, and, and in America, they didn't take the money from many of those other countries. They didn't want the currency. And so I, if that's all I had, I could have it from Trinidad, from Canada, from Jamaica. I could have it from Haiti. I could have it from all over the world, Nicaragua. You notice I don't go where it's cold, right? But anyways, uh, uh, well, Canada's cold. But man, I could have all that money, but I couldn't buy a thing because they won't take that currency. They would only take the American dollar in the American stores. Now, I'm not equating Christ to an American dollar by any means, but for heaven, you can bring any currency you want to heaven of your own righteousness, your own good deeds, your own religious rituals, your own denomination, your own anything, and unless it is the currency of Christ's righteousness, it's not acceptable. That is the only thing God will accept is the currency of Christ's righteousness. But guess what? How often does he accept that, y'all? Always. So if you have that on you, if you've given your life to Christ and his righteousness has been put on you, he came here and he lived a righteous life for 33 years, never sinned. So he had a righteous life that when he died, he could put that righteous life on yours and you can. And he took your life, man. How many of y'all think that was a good deal for Christ? <laughs> well, it is because he loves us, but, but man, uh, he took mine and mine was sinful. And when mine went to the cross with him, he took the punishment of every one of my sins and paid for him right there on the cross. And he gave me his perfect righteousness life. Is that worth an amen y'all? Yeah, dude. So the currency, think about this. God created man. And, and said, I want, and, and, and you know what? I, res, I, I expect perfection from man. But he knew man couldn't be perfect. So as man sinned, God, God would reveal himself to people. And this is what we learned in the very beginning of Romans. As he revealed himself to us, 
there's some people that took that revelation and pursued that revelation. And he gave them more and gave them more and brought them to the point of faith where they could give their life to Christ and have that, that perfection put on them. But we learned that there's others that rejected it and said, you know what, I don't want to be accountable to a God. And they ended up making their own gods. And when they made their own gods, man, they took the civilization down with them. And so that's why in Romans, as we were looking, God, uh, Paul is telling people, look, I don't want to harp on God's judgment. I don't want to harp on his wrath. But it's important that you know that is what eternity comes down to. Either not, either not having his wrath on you or having it on you. And so again, it's super important that you understand it from that perspective and that there's only one currency, there's only one form of righteousness that God will accept, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, of what he did and that being put on you. Any other form of righteousness is not good. So again, in Romans, the very beginning, we're, we're, talking, we're preaching through Romans, revival through Romans, uh, and, and what I want to really drive home, if I haven't already, is that the righteousness that God requires, God requires righteousness from a perfect person. Hey, bro, I just met you again. What was your name again? Maximilian, that's right. Uh, uh, we have a pilot from Haiti, his little baby's Maximilian. Cool story on that. Yeah. And, and so, Maximilian, are you perfect, bro? Have you, have you, you, when did you blow perfection? Yeah, and, and has he blown perfection today? Oh, look, man. Oh, of course he has. We've all. And, and so, again, God knows we can't be perfect. So God said, here's what I'm going to do. As God Almighty, that is the judge, jury, and, and everything, I'm, I'm demanding perfection. And if you are perfect, you go to heaven and spend heaven, eternity with me. If you're not perfect, you spend eternity in hell. And I have the right to do that because I made you. I can do whatever I want with who I made. But me, as Almighty God, as an act of love, what I will do is that I am going to come down, be perfect. I am going to take all of your imperfection and apply it to myself if you choose that. If I give you the desire and you choose that, it will all be here. But if you choose, as we talked about last week, to be judged according to your own works, you choose to be judged by what you do, if you reject that ultimate gift that the God who requires perfection and then provided perfection for you, if you, you reject the pardon for the death penalty you've earned, if you reject that and you do not go to heaven, whose fault is that? Whose fault? Yours. And so I'm grateful that you guys... <laughs> I'm hoping, if you haven't, but after you hear this, that you will. But I'm hoping most of you have already really taken on the perfection of Christ. That's what Paul's harping on in the first few chapters. Next week, we'll be in chapter 3 where he starts telling us all the good stuff. But for the first two chapters, he's kind of just saying, this is what's going down. This is life and death. This is eternity. This is what you got to take care of. And, and so, I require perfect righteousness. But guess what? The good news is the righteousness he requires, the righteousness you don't have, the righteousness he requires is the kind that he's offering. What a good deal. He's offering the righteousness that you need, so the only source of getting it is from him. Gary, if you want some good gizzards, man, you want some good gizzards, man, where we got to drive? We got to drive all the way up to Vero, and where do we got to go for some gizzards? Yeah, you don't get those at McDonald's, right? 
You can't get them at Burger King. You can't even get them. You can't even get gizzards at Moonswiners, can you? Y'all gonna need to change that menu. I'm telling you. You want gizzards? You gotta go to Maryland Fried Chicken up in Vero or Carter's out west of town. There's only one source. There's a source for what you're looking for, and the source for the righteousness that God requires is God Himself, and He's offered the righteousness that He requires, and it's available to us if we choose, if we want it. The people who don't have God are the people who don't want God. And so if they don't want him now, they don't want him in eternity. Well, I don't want to go to hell, but I want my own. No, that's not the deal. God made you. God made the deal. And that's what Paul's shown him in Romans. So quick recap again, the very first part of Romans, Paul goes in and he says, look, there's a bunch of heathens here in Rome. I'm writing to you guys, and you guys worship all kinds of gods, and I'm going to tell you how it happened. God gave you the desire and ability to worship him. God revealed to everyone that there's a God. Even the pygmy in the, in the jungle, the middle, he reveals to everyone that there is a God. And what are you going to do with that revelation? Uh, if you pursue it and say, I want to know who that God is. And that God's way more powerful than me. And I want to give my life to that. Dude, I want to worship this God who's in charge of everything. That requires swallowing your pride and letting somebody else be in charge. But man has the uncanny ability, and most people, everybody at some point, but man has the uncanny ability to not swallow their pride and say, nope, I'm not going to follow that. I'm not going to pursue this revelation I had. That's what he tells us in Romans 1. And when people don't pursue that revelation, guess what happens? They start creating their own God. And he says, man, it's so far away from the eternal God, it's not even funny. It's so far. In fact, here's what he even says. Man creates gods after himself after bugs, beasts, and birds. <laughs> that's what they're going to worship instead of the eternal God. And you check it out. And that's what, so that's what he says. Man, society, they take it down. But then the Jews now, this is chapter 2, the Jews come and they're like, oh, but we know God, Jehovah God. We know the mighty God. We are the most religious people in the world. We fast all this and we tithe and we, we do this. And he said, hey, guess what, guys? Your religion's not going to save you. That's why he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, you got to be born again. He said, you got to be born again because Nicodemus, along with all the Jews, thought being born a Jew was good enough. Many, the way I talk to in Bible Belt Christianity or cultural Christianity in Trinidad or in Jamaica or even especially even in the Bahamas is full of cultural Christianity. Oh, my mama's a Christian. Oh, my dad's a Christian. Oh, I've been born. I, when, did you, when did you get saved? Oh, in utero. <laughs> I've been going to church since my mama was pregnant, man. I'm a Christian. That's not how you get saved. There's so many people that believe by some religious... Y'all see that in Alabama? <laughs> you ever see it there? How, how about Kentucky, man? I'm talking everywhere. Florida. People believe that they are born into Christianity. Oh, I'd, I've been saved my whole life. No, you haven't. When we get into Romans chapter 6, he's going to say, you were an enemy to God. You were born lost. You were born selfish. Had to be a point in time where you believed that, man, I'm a sinner. There's a penalty for sin. And it's eternal separation from God. And I don't want to do that. And God reveals himself to you. say, man, save me. That's the whole purpose of these first two chapters of Romans is Paul trying to show people the reality. So they say, save me. I can't save myself. I'm not good enough. But for a prideful person, that's an awful hard thing to say, isn't it? Save me. I can't do anything about it. So the, the righteous Jews, when they heard Paul blasting all the heathens in Romans chapter 1, they're like, oh, 
Well, look at me. I'm glad I don't do all that stuff they do. He said, yeah, but you point fingers. You accuse people of stuff, which means you know the law. And if Chuck, all right, give me a, if you got one finger, now I understand Chuck's illustration, all right? If they got one finger pointing at you, how many I got pointing back at me? Three, but he was actually pointing at me too, so that was four. So I got to give him credit on that. But, but yeah, he's saying, look, man, you, by you accusing somebody, Barb, means you know right from wrong. And are you trying to tell me you don't do the wrong thing? Are you trying to tell me? He's like, no, by you actually accusing them, you're admitting your own guilt because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're all sinners. So you know you're not perfect, and you know that's what God requires, and you're not going to heaven because you're a Jew. You're not going to heaven because you're a Baptist. You're not going to heaven because you were baptized and all that. We'll see that today. But he said, man, you Jews, you do that. And it came down to last week. You're either trusting your own works or you're trusting the works of Christ. Your works are going to be like Canadian currency in America. They're worth nothing. As of now, <laughs> maybe who knows one day, but I'm just saying as of now, he will not accept your currency in any way, shape, or form. The only currency that is adequate, that's got what it needs to back it up, is the currency of, of Christ's righteousness and his sacrifice with his blood on the cross. So revival through Romans, the kind of righteousness that God requires is the kind of righteousness that Christ provides. That's a good thing. Salvation is needed. you got to understand that. You share the gospel with people. You have, man, they have to understand salvation is needed. They have to understand salvation has been provided, and then what's left? Salvation must be accepted. There's the gospel. Not Lots of ways to share it. Want to know, where's Steve Carr? Did he go down with the kids? Yeah. They all the cars went down with the kid, but man, ask him. They've got ways. There's all kinds of ways, but salvation's needed, has been provided, and it must be accepted. That's that. That's how you share the gospel with the word of God. So in this, he provides that. So here's what he's telling the 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 Jews again in this last half of chapter two. Before we get to chapter three, he's telling them simply knowing God's. We know the word. We're the ones who brought the word. We're the ones who brought the Messiah. We're the ones who did all this, brought all of this about. He said, yeah, but it don't do any good unless you apply it. You heard me say before, man, I don't know what's up with our, hey, I was wondering, Tom, with our air conditioning, they said it's freezing in the kitchen, man. Maybe, I don't know if we can shut those vents, man, or if just for Sunday, put some plywood and screw it up over the vents and blow it out here, but I don't know. But, but how many of y'all, are glad you got a good, Steve, are you glad Chrissy's deodorant's working today? Man, yeah, did, she's got deodorant, right? But it only works if she actually puts it under her arm, correct? Uh, we should really pick on Steve for that, right? Yeah, hey, sorry, Chrissy, I just, I'm a guy, man, I'm like, you know, but, but yeah, like the word of God, it only works if you apply it. And the Jews were picking and choosing what they wanted to apply, they were, they were, oh, this, uh, he said, we apply it all. Hey, the rich man, the rich young ruler that every pastor in modern day would probably welcome into the church and put in a leadership position, Jesus said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come back. He said, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Is there anything you can do to etern inherit eternal life? No, there's nothing you can do. You're spiritually dead. If you imagine a corpse, what can a corpse do in, in a spiritual realm? What can a corpse do? A corpse can do nothing. He said, no, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, 
you know, obey all the commands. He said, oh, I've done that since I was young. <laughs> what a lie. Has he obeyed them all since he's young? No. He picked and chose and obeyed. He did a good job, maybe 98%, maybe 75%. But Jesus hit him where it hurts. Because in obeying the, comment, the, the commandments, the very first one is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything you've got. Man, worship only God. Uh, why do we only worship him, Chuck? Why do we only worship one God? Because there are no other gods. Exactly. But this guy had some gods. It was his money. It was his possessions. It was his pride. It was his, it was his status in society. It was his business. And he said, so hit it right where it's at. Okay, so throw, go get rid of everything you got. Get rid of it all and sell it to the poor and, and give it to the poor and then, and, then, and then come see me and we'll start over. He wasn't willing to give up those gods. He wasn't saved. And he walked off. I could imagine Judas going, but do you know what that guy's got in his pocket? Do you know his bank account? Do you know what he can offer? It didn't matter to Jesus. Because, dude, the asphalt of heaven is gold. <laughs> the riches of this world are nothing compared to the glory that he came from and that we're going to spend eternity in. You know? So, again, that was the rich young ruler. So simply knowing God's word and knowing about God cannot save you. That's what Paul now goes into with, the, with the, uh, the Jewish people in Rome. And I heard a long time ago when I first got saved, one of them cheesy little cliche things, you probably heard it before, but the distance between being saved and being lost is approximately 18 inches. How many of y'all heard that before? The distance between being saved and being lost is approximately 18 inches. Hey, come here, stand up real quick. Yeah, you sat on the front, bro. He, he might be a little longer than 18 inches, right? But but how much distance is there right here? About 18 inches, thereabouts, right? Between his heart and his head. You can sit down. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we all give it up for him, man, for just... I'm going to keep picking on I told you, if we don't scare you off, welcome to the family, bro. All right, good. Even if you only show up one time, you're in the family. But, <laughs> but, but in that, 18 inches, you can know God's word. You can quote it. You can be Billy Biblehead in Sally Sunday School. You, you can know it. You, can, you, you may have run every vacation Bible school there ever was. You may have run Bible studies. You've been in this program and that program and all of these things, which is what he's addressing with the Jews. You can have it all at your access. It's all there, but it's a giant medicine cabinet full of deodorant that you've never put on, and spiritually your life stinks until you apply it. So the distance from being saved and being lost is right here. You can quote all the scripture you want, but if you're not applying it, if it's not a foundation of your life, Paul, he wasn't an extremist. Paul was your typical Christian, Christian according to God. And, and Matthew, what did he say? For me to live is what? Christ. He said, for me to live is Christ. Everything about my life is Christ. Not just Sunday, not Monday night Bible study, not Wednesday, not here. No, every for me to live is Christ. Well, that sounds fanatical, doesn't it? That is typical Christianity. That is what the Bible requires. It's an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and God Almighty. You've got that relationship. It, 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 hey, uh, Skylar and Emily, I know we've only had one premarital counseling session, but y'all are fixing to get married, right? Okay, so how often, Emily, do you want Skylar to be your husband? What, what if he's just her husband on Sunday? Is that okay? Uh, Sunday, and he gives you a couple nights a week. 
<laughs> now, if, you, if you have an intimate relationship, you sound like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you're an intimate relationship with God Almighty, and he does compare it to marriage. So it's okay with you then, uh, publicly right now, that if Skylar has some side chicks? Oh, okay, I'm just making sure. Because in the Old Testament, that's what adultery was, spiritual adultery. He even had Hosea go marry a prostitute. He was a priest. He said, go marry Gomer, a prostitute. First of all, I'd have a hard time marrying a woman named Gomer, wouldn't you? Steve, aren't you glad her name ain't Gomer? Chrissy Gomer. <laughs> like, I just still think a Gomer pile, man. <laughs> be like, I'd never get over that mental image. She's a prostitute. And, and he's a priest. And it was like, oh. And he married her. And all of Israel's like, oh, nasty. How can you be married to this nasty prostitute named Gomer? He said, well, I didn't really know what her name was, but <laughs> anyways, he's married to her, and they're like, oh, and he said, look, I'm just doing what God told me to do, and God wants me to illustrate to you what it looks like for you to be married to God and how unfaithful you are. So would you all get faithful so <laughs> we can work this thing out with Gomer? And, and, and again, Gomer goes out whoring again on him, and what does he do? God's, what does God say to do? God says, go woo her back. And again, this isn't necessarily marriage, you know, lessons on how to woo back a wife and all. You know what it's about? It's about your spiritual adultery and your spiritual faithfulness to God. I ask people all the time, say, if you were as faithful to your wife as you are to God, would you still be married? If you're as faithful to your spouse as you are to God, would you still be married? If you take into consideration the intimate relationship that God Almighty wants with you. So again, the distance between being saved and lost is 18. You can know it. It can all be here. You can quote it. You can wear shirts. You can have bumper stickers, all the coffee mugs. You can, you can have it all there, but if you're not applying it, Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Jeremiah, all of they all said it doesn't count. It do, it, it's, it's head knowledge. It's got to be where all, he gets your heart. You get your heart. Hey, does JT have your heart? <laughs> oh, he's got your heart, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about. And you get your heart, you get it all, don't you? If it's not true, don't get married, y'all. I'm just saying right now. It's not too late. I'll even tell you that as we're walking down the aisle. It's not too late, Emily. I don't care how much money we spent. Mama going down. Yeah, uh, but once you say I do, how, how long is it for? Oh, no, it's not forever. It's till death do us part. Okay, because, yeah, there's nobody married in heaven. But it's, 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 it's till death do us part. So divorce is not an option. Murder is, but not divorce. All right? Fortunately, mother and I ain't got that far. But I'm just saying, until death do us It's a commitment. Simply knowing God's word and knowing about God can't save you. The distance between being saved and being lost is approximately 18 inches. If it's here but not here, hey, what does James even say? The devils know. <laughs> the devils know. But they're going to hell. It's got to be in here where he's got, he's got your heart. Where you make your decisions. Your decisions are what would, Christ, what would please Christ? What does he want me to do? And then he empowers you to do it. You're in a thriving relationship. So let's get to the scripture about this. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 12 through 24 on this first part right here. So he goes to him, he says, All right, for all of you, you righteous Jews that say you're being saved because you're a Jew. All of you who uh, have sinned without the law 
will perish without the law, and all of you who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So whether you have the Word of God or you don't have the Word of God, if you don't have Christ, you're going to hell. That's the fact. He's saying if you know it and and you don't do anything with it, you have eternal judgment. If you don't know it, and by the same token, he's already told us that for the pygmy in the middle of the jungle, that every single person has had revelation of a God. You, who, who told me, Paul, you were talking about, hey, Paul, hey, Paul, man, up here, up here, eyes up here, right, no, I was messing with you, man. I know y'all were talking about church, I get it, but no, <laughs> were you really talking about church? It's all right, good, yeah, thank you for being honest, all right, but man, what were you talking about? You saw a sunrise, right, or a sunset, and what was there? A sunset, was it? with a rainbow who made that is there any denying that did you like turn to her and say oh yeah look i just made, i made this for you she would go you're full of it buddy no you know god made it everybody knows by nature that god there's a god and if there's a god that's that great wouldn't you want to get to know him yes unless you're prideful and decide you don't want to get to know him and then you don't get to know him so again in this he says whether you have the word or you don't have the word that's irrelevant for your salvation. We are saved by grace. Grace is going to turn into works that are awesome works that God gives us. But he said, here's what he's talking about. Whether you've got the word or not, doesn't, the word's not what saves you. Look at this next part. For it is not the hearers of the law. This sounds like Jesus' half-brother uh, James, right? He also said, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. So you guys who came to church today say, all right, God, we're going to check the box. And, you know, the only reason we're coming to Driftwood is because he preaches extra long and we need extra credit from you, man. We're, check this box real big. Color it real. It's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And again, when he's talking about a doer, it's in a Greek form that means it's complete. You always do it. So the only way to be justified is always do the law. If you are justified, he justified you, and you will do the law, but even we mess up. But in this, he said, man, you want to judge, be judged according to the law? You better be perfect. And, and, and so in here, he's showing them there's no way you're perfect. If your eternity depends upon perfection, and you're not perfect, Chris, what do you need? Him, save me, help me. You're drowning. You're drowning and you're going down. You got one breath left and the rescuer's right there to say, come, just grab my hand. I want to grab. No, I'm trying to do it on my own. Or finally, you just say, save me. I can't do it. That's what's supposed to happen for salvation. He's there. And will he save you? Absolutely. And he will save you forever. And it's a beautiful thing. The righteousness you need is the righteousness God provides. But why would you not want it? Well, maybe you don't think you need it. Or maybe you're too prideful and still thinking that you can do it on your own like the Jews were. He said, man, it's not the hearers of the law that are righteous for God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, who do not have the law, by nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. So he's saying, you know what? Everybody who comes to this world has some kind of a moral code, a moral compass, you know right from wrong. Everybody kind of has it built in them until it's built out of them through teaching. Right? 
There's a moral code. Everybody knows right from wrong until you start changing. You, you have the sin built in you also, but you start saying, hmm, which is right, which is wrong? What should I do? What should I not? What's going to benefit me now? And so, so again, there's a moral code, he says, even with the Gentiles. They know until they're being taught not to because it's going to benefit them in this society a little bit better. He goes on and says, they show that the work of the law is written in their hearts. So there's God saying, it's put in your hearts. Everybody has a moral code God puts in there, including the societies in the middle of the jungle in the Amazon somewhere. There's a moral code. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So again, people know that we have a conscience. And and a conscience, listen to this, a conscience is, is like a window. All right? It's a window in which we can see God. All right? Peter talks a lot about having a clear conscience. So what happens when, what happens if these, look how clear these windows are. Look out, look out at the beach, man. Can anybody see the beach or you don't have to be standing? Some of y'all are as tall as I am sitting. All right? Like you got, yeah. But you look out there, it's clear. You can see. Look how beautiful it is. All right? But what if these windows were dirty? Could you have as clear of an accurate vision of what's going on out there no you might see bits and pieces if it's all fogged up if it's dirty you see you see something but it's not really clear and so when you're telling people of what's out there it's what you've seen but it's not really reality and so peter continually says have a clear conscience clear that window because the the conscience is how we see god and god says in romans chapter one everybody sees him Everybody knows him, but as you dirty and your pride and you don't want to do what God wants, you dirty up your window and it's like, oh, well, this is what God wants. And it's trying to describe what's going on out there through a dirty window. That's the conscience. So he says everybody's got one of those in which they can see God. By the way, how do we clear our conscience? Anyone? How do we clear our conscience? What do you do? Pray and, and, and let God reveal to us what's dirtying up the conscience. God said, well, then quit putting your stinking hands all over the window. Hey, here's some Windex. And what's the Windex that God uses to wash our window? His Word and His Holy Spirit. And how often do y'all put fingerprints all over your window? Your spiritual window. How often do you need it Windex? Claudia, how often, you need your, how often does Kurt need his Windex? All the time, man. You a couple times a day, right? But, but Kurt, all the time, just saying. That's, that's how we do it. But what if you never get in the Word? What if you only clean it once a week on Sunday? What if, what if you never even clean it? And you're trying to tell people who God is. You're trying to see life from God's perspective through a very dirty window. Are you, gonna give, are, are you even going to have a good picture of who God is? No. That's why we've got to be in the Word continually. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts and with their conscience also bears witness in their conflicting thoughts even or uh, even accuse or even excuse them. On that day when according to my gospel, Paul says according to my gospel, which is God's gospel, he's already made that clear in the first chapter, God judges the secrets of men by who? Christ Jesus. So here it is. You want to be, when you get judged, Here it is. There's going to be Christ on the great white throne. There's going to be Christ in his perfection. How many of y'all are looking forward to that? Anyone? Yeah. 
There's Christ. Because, and you know why you're looking forward to that? It's because you know His perfections added onto you and you have nothing to be afraid of. There's no condemnation. There's nothing. You have Christ's perfection on you. But what if here's Christ in all His glory and all His perfection and now you, puny man, decide who thought you were going to be big and bad enough to be judged by your own works now comes in your judge next to Christ. What a scary deal that's going to be. What a scary deal. You're going to be judged by Christ. How many of y'all want to get in a wrestling match with Christ? How many of y'all want to get in a beauty contest with Christ? <laughs> Jack, you want to be in a beauty contest with Christ? Only if they give me a Christ covering that makes me look just like Christ. But you have that as a believer. But as an unbeliever, you can't even compete with what Christ is. That's what he's trying to tell them. So if they don't have it, they don't have some fallacy of think They won't be surprised at the end. He's not relishing in the fact, oh, you guys are going to hell. No, I want you to have what I have. God judges the secrets of men by Jesus. You're going to be judged according to Jesus Christ. He's going to put you in Christ right there. Christ is the judge. He's perfection. And he's going to have you and say, now, what do you think? Woo, I was mistaken. Or you're going to be like, wow, I'm glad that I'm just like you. I'm glad that you, the judge, the jury, the executioner, everyone, I'm glad that I am being judged by you and that I am yours. But if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and you boast in God, oh, no, I have the law. No, I'm like the rich young ruler. I've done it all since I was a little kid. And you're boasting in God. And now his will uh, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're an instructor from the law. So here you are. You're, you know the Bible. Well, the Bible says this. Well, the Bible says this. And the Bible says this. Uh, there's nothing wrong with knowing what it is. But what he's doing is he's saying, as you're saying, this is what the Bible says. You're showing that you understand it. And in your conscience, you've got to know you are not perfect. You've got to know you violate it. So there's nobody who knows the word of God and truly knows it and believes they're perfect. In fact, it's a mirror, right? We talked about it being a mirror. Hey, Gladys, I am so glad to see you today. I thought since Hal was gone, man, that I wouldn't see you anymore. So you just gave Hal a vacation. You got a little vacation from Hal now? Is that what it is? Yeah, so Gladys, did you look in a, did you look in a mirror this morning? You, you did, yes, I, I'm sure. How many of y'all looked in the mirror this morning, right? Did you look in the mirror? Anybody look in the mirror? There's some. I know Chuck did not look in the mirror today. You can tell. But, but Gladys, you looked in the mirror, and you saw there was something that needed to be fixed, right? Again, you've heard this illustration before. Did you take the mirror? You saw the, what was wrong. Did you then take the mirror and try to fix your hair with the mirror? Did you try to wash your face with the mirror? Did you try to make your underarms smell better with the mirror? Anybody? Did, did you? How many of y'all saw something wrong in the mirror today? Come on, no one beside me? Oh my goodness. I know y'all didn't look this pretty when you woke up this morning. Y'all did something and you saw the reflection in the mirror, but you didn't use the mirror to fix it. The mirror will not make your underarms smell better. The mirror's not a good comb. It's not good. You can't wash it there. The mirror reveals what's wrong. And that's what the word of God is. It's a mirror. That's what the law is. It's a mirror. But the mirror can't fix it. Who's the only one that can fix it, Chris? Christ. The mirror's like, Hoo-hoo. how many of y'all ever looked in the mirror and go, <laughs> y'all ain't old enough yet, I guess. But I'm just saying, it was like, dude, where'd that come from, man? But I'm just, man, you look in the mirror and go, ah, and what, help, help, 
<laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what we should be doing? You look in the Word of God and you see the mirror. And you don't use the law to fix it, the mirror to fix it. It reveals it. And then you're like, oh, God, please help me. Anybody ever say that in a physical mirror? You look and you say, oh, God, please help me. <laughs> Spiritually, we should be doing that, man. The mirror isn't what fixes us. Oh, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going to try. No, God. Your Holy Spirit lives in me. You have promised that I have the ability to be right. God, you take over. You take over. I've made a mess of my hair, God. You do something with it. And you let God take your life and work it. So, man, even if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those in dark, you're telling them what the Word of God says, the more you're telling other people, the more you see some flaws in yourself, right? In fact, I'm convinced that that's why many people don't share the gospel, because they're afraid of being called a hypocrite. They don't share things from God's perspective because they're afraid that people are going to say, well, what about you? Well, you know what? When they say, what about me? I'm going to say, yeah, I'm a mess. I tell you that every week, not that I have to even tell you. You already know, right? Destiny, am I a mess? I'm a mess, Yes. And my life's a mess. Ask my wife. She will tell you. But, it, but there's hope because the hope is Christ. And man, when God reveals something, it's like, God, I need this fixed. Help me. But when you're like, oh, no, I'm okay. Everything's good. Everything's what? No, dude. It's not. And that's what Paul's telling them. You need a savior. You got the law. You got the mirror. But the, the mirror only goes so far. Mirror can't fix you, Christ can. And that's what he's trying to bring them to. But isn't it uncanny how once we get saved, who's the only one who can save us, y'all? Jesus. How many of y'all believe that? But how many of y'all have ever believed that you can fix yourself? Every one of us. In fact, a lot of the church help literature. Well, just do that. I'm just saying. You need Christ. Surrender over and over and say, throw yourself... Fix me. Man, Tiny, ever say that? Fix me. No, I didn't say, fix Sam. <laughs> and that what we want to do? And Sam's there, fix Tiny. And that's half of marriage right there, y'all. Fix Skylar. Fix Emily. Fix that. No, fix you. <laughs> you know what mama used to say? I sound like Forrest Gump. <laughs> but... <laughs> My mom used to say all the time, we judge others by ourselves. If we're a thief, what do we think everybody's doing? Robbing us. If we're a liar, what do you think everybody's doing? Lying to us. So how we know we are is how we view other people. And if you live in a stinky world, you're just telling me a lot about yourself, of how you view yourself in that, how you live. So the only way you can view the world better is by you getting better and realizing who you are in Christ. Realizing who you are in Christ and living to that identity. Man, realizing, dude, I was forgiven of this debt I could never pay. How can I hold this person accountable for some little measly debt they owe me? And so on. we got to see ourselves in the true sight of God. You judge others by yourself. And if you see that you are so fortunate to be saved from you, from God's wrath, oh my goodness, if you realize what you got, that's got to at least put you in a good mood, right? And if it doesn't, y'all do this. Here, do this real quick. How many of y'all know somebody has a hard time smiling, right? 
do this and put these right there. And they go, <laughs> if you can't smile, at least do that, all right? I'm just saying, man, realize who you are in Christ. It's got to make you smile. That's eternity. If you're sure that you yourselves are a guide to blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and instructor of the, uh, of the foolish, I'm instructing somebody who's being a fool. How many of your parents have ident- can identify with that, right? Uh, do your little kids ever do anything foolish? Destiny Jack? Yeah, where'd they get that from? I don't know, man. They got your genes, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying, have you ever, do you have to instruct them? No, don't do that. <laughs> Wait till the gator's dead before you get on top of it, right? <laughs> All right. The, a teacher of children, having the law, embodiment of knowledge and truth. You've got all of this. You understand it. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? When you're teaching others, how many of y'all have ever ministered to somebody only to, re- only to realize God is ministering back to you? In fact, every time you do minister to somebody, you better realize God is trying to get you to minister back to you. You better be looking for the application because it's no accident God put you in that situation. And you teach others, you not teach yourself. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? I don't know, I don't like, not like them. Well, ask God, do I steal? Ooh, time counts. Ooh, little office supplies count. Ooh, the samples count. No, I'm just saying, that's the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. You know? If, if, you're, if you're dealing with somebody, maybe it's not on the same level. You say that you must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Again, you ask the Holy Spirit, show me, show me. And Holy Spirit, he knows, he's omnipresent, he's with you always. You who abhor idols or hate idols, do you, do you rob temples? In other words, are you idolatrous? Let God show you. Again, everything you do in ministering to somebody else, understand God, I think, is trying to minister to you also. You may not do it in the same way, to the same level, whatever. You may be worse. But God had to bring them in your life for you to even get to see it. But the point is, is that, man, look and, and say, God, show me about me in this. So he says, when you know the law, you know all of this, it's, it's, it should be bringing conviction. And when you've got conviction, knowing God wants perfection, what should you scream out to God? What's the four-letter word beginning with H and ending with help? What is it? One, two, three. Help! Yes. Man, did any of you ever have to say that? Dude, Kurt was probably saying that as I was on his rear end down in. Did you put your cruise control on? I'm just asking. You did? Your cruise don't work, bro. I'm just saying. No, I, I was trying to. But when I got here, he's like, let me ask you a question. Do you follow Jesus that close? <laughs> I was like, yes, I do. And I'm, pre- I'm preaching on it. But I was trying not to be. A, I would hate to be driving in front of the preacher on a 25 mile an hour knowing nobody's going 25 mile an hour. I ain't the judge. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and you did a wonderful, stellar job of driving in front of the preacher on Indian River Drive. But not that it means anything coming from me. But again, you say that to one, you must not commit adultery. You commit adultery. Who abhor idols? You rob temples. Blah blah. Uh, I'm not blah 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 on that. I'm just saying. He's saying whatever you're accusing somebody else or whatever you see is wrong in them. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you also. And when you find out that a God who requires perfection has shown you you are not perfect, what do you yell out to him? Help. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You're preaching, you're preaching, you're preaching. There's not, he's not telling us not to preach. He's telling us to, to really, what a great opportunity. He's telling us to get righteous, to live in our identity. But when we do mess up, what do we do? 
What do we do publicly when we mess up? You ever mess up? In front of belief, in front of non-believers? What do you do? Man, I teach them about forgiveness. <laughs> it's like, you forgive me. Oh my goodness, will you forgive me? And 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 I have to go back and eat crow sometimes. I eat crow, but uh, anyways, man, it's forgive me. Please forgive me. Yeah. And, and ask, I'm asking God to forgive me. And sometimes that's even a more powerful lesson than the lesson you were teaching to begin with. But here they're using it for their perfection like the rich young ruler. For as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's throughout the Old Testament. So in that, what he's saying um, in there is that just because you know the word and you know about God, it's not enough to be saved. It's not enough to be saved. And next he goes, says, well, we're circumcised. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to try to be really discreet in here about circumcision in this. But um, in this, Paul later says, well, if you think circumcision is going to help you in, in getting saved, I just cut the whole thing off. That's literally what Paul says to either in Galatians or Ephesians. You think that's going to get you, that's, that circumcision is going to save you? Cut the whole thing off, man. Get more bounty points with God. And in other words, he's saying it's not circumcision was a covenant thing with abraham and it was with the jews and without being super descriptive and you can because i don't really know all y'all want to explain this to your kids later who are here but the bottom line it's cutting away of flesh that's really what it is it's cutting away of flesh but it was a picture of when you cut away that physical flesh it was to remind you to cut the flesh away from your heart from your heart because that is the, that we have three enemies. We have we have the we have Satan who has created this world system, and this world system feeds our flesh. And so, if our most of the time, oh no, Satan's after me today. No, he isn't. You're just making stupid fleshly decisions. <laughs> Satan's after me. Oh, I'm de de demon chasing, man. I'm not saying there aren't times where you're under attack, but a lot of times, bottom line is your flesh. Your desires are not God's desires, and you're jumping into the world doing things this world way that Satan created, and that's where your consequences are coming from. Mine too. So God right away said, he's good, I'm going to give your men a symbol. We're going to cut away the flesh. And, uh, and it's, a, and it's a, a, a piece of a body that a man's going to probably come in contact with a couple times a day. And the idea was every time you come in contact with it or your wife comes in contact with it and you see the flesh is cut, it's to remind you that the heart needs to be cut. So think about that next time you go to the bathroom, guys. I'm just saying. It's like literally it was supposed to be a reminder that, man, my, my, my flesh is cut. So to remind me that my flesh and my heart needs to be cut. So am I, is my heart desiring more of what I want or what Christ wants? That's what we're supposed to think of, and that's where the whole symbol was of the covenant. And there's more to it, but that's the main point about circumcision. Oh, we were circumcised. So today, you know what would it be? Oh, well, I've been baptized. I can't tell you how many people I've asked, say, hey, if you die, Terry, if you die, you going to heaven? You know, yeah, why? I've been baptized. I've been baptized three times, in fact. Like, no, baptism isn't going to save you. The same way baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a picture of somebody when we baptize them. Skip, when we baptize you, right? Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When I took you under the water, it was you saying, I'm dying to my old life. 
to being the boss of my life, and I'm rising now to live a life with Christ in his resurrection power. Is that right? Exactly. And I asked Skip, I asked every one of you that I baptized, I said, so if we do this, is this the truth? Because I don't want you to be a liar. Uh, often we use the illustration of this ring. Hey, what does this ring mean right here? It, it means I'm married, right? And who am I married to? My wife. Raise your hand back there just so everybody knows how you are. That's my wife, my lovely wife, 34 years, man. Y'all give it up for her, all right? Some of y'all are like, dude, I got two hours a week with this guy. I don't know how she does it, man. But, but listen, man, this ring symbolizes that I'm married to my wife. If I take this ring off, am I still married to my wife? Yes. If I put this ring on top of Maximilian, is he married to my wife? No. And if he walked around telling everybody he was married to my wife, first of all, his wife would kill him. But if, if he walked around telling everybody he was married to my wife, he would be a what? A liar. And so, again, it's just a symbol. And so baptism doesn't save you. It's a symbol that, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a symbol of you saying, I'm dying to my old life. I want to rise and live a new life in resurrection power. And so I ask people, if we do this, is it going to be telling people the truth or is it a lie? Illustration guy gave me through a, I think it was Jay, I don't know who it was, uh, maybe David Gusick or whatever, but religious rituals cannot save you. The label on the can should reveal the contents. Y'all agree with that? The label on the can should reveal the contents. God requires righteousness. So let's just say we were going to make key lime pie. Easy bake, no bake key lime pie. Man, I'm going to tell y'all a, a good secret right here. Y'all take a can of sweetened condensed milk. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Can of sweetened condensed milk. Dude, JT, we could probably suck that down just plain, right? But if you get you a graham cracker crust and you put that milk, in, in, that sweetened condensed milk, I don't know what it is, but I know it ain't got to be good for you. But you put it in a bowl and you mix it up. We mix it up with some tart oranges. Sometimes I put key limes in it. Man, mix some key limes in it, and then you pour it in that graham cracker crust, dude. Put it in the fridge the next day, maybe even that night. You got, a, it ain't like the real deal, all right, for you purists, and I know what the real deal is, but man, I'm talking about in a pinch. You got to have some key lime pie. Anybody like that in a pinch? You just can't go on living without a piece of key lime pie? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. It's like it's there. So I go and I buy a key lime, I buy this condensed milk, sweetened condensed milk. Oh, my goodness. And I open it up, getting ready. And inside, on the label, sweetened condensed milk, I open it up, and it's old, nasty Jack Mackerel inside. Have any of y'all ever opened up a can of Jack Mackerel? I got involved in that in Jamaica, all right? They love, here, try this. It's better than tuna fish. And I'm like, okay. Jack Mackerel, you can buy it at Walmart in the International Isle. But it's a greasy, oily, fishy fish, which is okay if you need a greasy, oily, fishy fish. And sometimes you need that, too. But... That Jack Mackerel, can you imagine having your heart set on a key lime pie? And you, uh, having your heart set on that. Hey, you, you weren't as excited about Jack Mackerel as you were about that sweetened condensed milk, were you? Not at all. Man, so can you imagine someone who needs Christ? And we have this sweet, juicy outside. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And then all of a sudden, God says, oh yeah, let me open you up through some circumstances in this world. And what comes out is nasty, oily Jack Mackerel. You ever done that? Say yes, you have been. You ever been nasty, oily Jack Mackerel? How about you, Gary? Amen. Yeah, dude. And, and, and again, that's, that's, that's the exception, not the rule. 
But for a believer, man, what's on the inside is, if, if you got the label on the outside, that's what's on the inside, unless you're living according to the flesh. And so here he's saying, he's saying external evidences, these rich religious rituals don't save you. Knowing the word and knowing about God don't save you. Religious rituals can't save you. The label on the can should reveal its contents. And God requires righteousness. No nasty, doily jack mackerel. It's got to be some sweetened, condensed milk, right? In this, look at this. Romans 2, 25. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. Baptism is of value if it represents who you really are. In other words, you don't get ground. It's of value because you're telling everybody who you are. If you are not that, you're a liar. So it's not of value. He said, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. He said, if you go get baptized and say, I'm going to live this life of righteousness with his power, but you don't do it, you're a liar. He said, it's, you might as well have not even done it. You've cheapened it. And again, I'm not saying we don't make mistakes and we're, not, and, and we're perfect or anything like that, but there's a lifestyle involved. He goes on. And he says, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And then he who physically is uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have been uh, have the written code and circumcision but break the law. So what's better? What's better to actually be a true believer and not be baptized? Or would it be better to be a true believer, uh, be a true believer and not be baptized or not be a true believer and get baptized? What's, what's better? Be a true believer. And he's trying to say, look, dude, the religious ritual don't save you. It does not save you. In fact, it even condemns you in that. Don't, man, it, 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 it's supposed to just be a symbol of what's going on on the inside. Make sure the label represents what's on the inside. He goes on, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But the Jew is one inward. So what he's saying is, man, you want to be this religious Jew, it's inward. And he's talking about uh, Christianity here. It's, it's inward. And if it's on the inside, it comes out. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. There it is. There's the heart. He talked about in the Old Testament so often, it's like you, your, your heart is supposed to be circumcised. But what would happen if when all the young men got circumcised, they went and did heart surgery on them back then? They'd have died. God had another way, which I ain't saying is, wouldn't be painful, especially for the older ones, but I'm just saying he cut flesh away. And every time a man or a woman is aware of that flesh being cut, it should be something where they come back in and judge themselves and say, mm, am I cutting the flesh of my heart? And it's an opportunity for men and women who are married to become more intimate, actually, with each other and with God. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You know why people do religious rituals? So the outward people say, oh, yes, look at that person. Hey, if I were to ask you who's the most faithful person at Driftwood, how would you, what would be the criteria you would use in that? How many of y'all would say, hmm, or any church, or any organization, you'd go, oh, that's the one who's there that's the one who's always doing this, always doing that, always that, right? But faithful means you are full of what? Full of faith. Do you know the most faithful person in any group is? The one who is most full of faith. 
living what God wants him to live. And that's what being faithful is talking about in that. So in this, the kind of righteousness, so God requires righteousness. First of all, he says, knowing the word and knowing about God doesn't save you. He said religious rituals don't save you. But the kind, because God requires righteousness, not a religious ritual. But look at this. and We're almost done. The kind of righteousness that God requires is the kind of righteousness that only Christ can provide. And it comes from an intimate relationship with him. That's what it's about, an intimate relationship with Christ. Check this out, Matthew 7, 13 to 14, 21 through 27. Um, you can read the whole chapter if you'd like. But here's what Jesus said. Look at this. Enter by the narrow gate. So there's going to be a narrow gate and there's a wide gate, right? And he's talking to, he, he, Jesus is saying this. Paul said it later. Peter said it. Every one of the, everybody said it in Scripture. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So the gate that's wide and that's easy, it leads to what? And look at this. And those who enter by it are what? So where's everybody going? Where's the majority of this world going, y'all? Yeah, where's the, where's the majority of the world going, Steve? Through the wide gate. The wide gate. Why are they going through the wide gate? Because it's easy. Why is it easy? Because they designed it. And they keep changing it. They're going through the... They think it's easy, and it is easy now. But man, you're not going to be here that long. You hear me all the time, man, on this seat. Hey, pull the... Right between my big toe and little toe, pull about 100 grains of sand. I'm just joking right there, man. I know you would. 100, 100, again, 100 grains of sand. If that represents 100 years of life. Eternity isn't even represented by all the sand on all the beaches in, in, in the world, right? It's easy for this little hundred grains of sand, they think, but as Paul even explained in chapter 1, they mess things up, and the world's a messed up mess when they make their own gods, even there. But it says, the gate is narrow, the one he wants you to go through, and the way is hard that leads to life, and the way, and those who find it are what? So what did he say? He said, there's a big wide gate, right? And it's easy and it leads to destruction, which is eternal separation from God. May look beneficial here, but it's going to lead to eternal separation from God. And how many go through it? Many, most. But the gate, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So when you go through the narrow gate, What's he telling us about our Christianity? Is it going to be easier? Is it going to be hard? Why is it hard, Sherry? Because does God always want you to do what you want to do? No. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you had to think about it that long. I'm just messing with you. No, you're right. It's hard because he's always constantly challenging us on what we think we ought to be able to do, what we should do. I have the right. I have the, man, I could, I, I want to. But once you choose to go through his gate, who's in control of everything down that path? He is. So everything, everything, hey, Skylar and Emily, y'all getting ready to have a wedding, right? Is it only supposed to be a narrow gate wedding or is it supposed to be a narrow gate reception? Is it supposed to be a narrow gate honeymoon or is it supposed to be a narrow gate marriage? 
Or, or, or do we just have the narrow gate wedding and then, oh, hey, let's just do whatever we want to in the reception. And, oh, hey, you know, and then, oh, we'll come back here. Oh, the honeymoon? No, whatever goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, you know, and then, and I'm not just picking on you. I'm just saying this is how we compartmentalize our lives. Oh, I went through the narrow gate, but then now in Christian, modern Christianity, and it's not just us, it's the world. It's happened all along. Paul's writing to them. They go through a narrow gate, but then they have a wide path. Oh, through grace, I can do whatever. Now I'm coming right back to God. No, every time you don't do things God's way, there's consequences, period. And they're not good. The wages of sin is death. It kills dreams, hopes, desires. It control, It kills things. So again, your marriage starts with this. Enga- How about your engagement? Should your engagement, Skylar, should your engagement be a narrow gate engagement as two spirit-filled believers? Yeah. And then a narrow gate wedding, narrow gate reception, narrow gate honeymoon, narrow gate. And again, the Holy Spirit guides and leads. I'm not saying it's no fun, but it's not the same way the world has fun. And again, we can apply this to every aspect of our life. I just saw y'all, man, so that's why I put y'all on the spot. But seriously, that's what he's saying. The gate's narrow. The way's hard. Because everybody in the world is like, that ain't the way you do it. That's not the way. We've never done it that way. or Nobody does it that way. No, you can't. Now, it's hard because you're going to get a lot of... If, if most people do it wide gate and very few people do it narrow gate, when you try to do it narrow gate, how much opposition do you have? A lot by the many. Exactly. That's what he's talking about, it being hard. But those of you who have lived the righteous narrow gate life, you know the benefits. And the minute you stop living that narrow gate life, those benefits start dwindling away. You start getting the benefits of the wide gate life. And you know you don't want those. And man, he says, man, the ones that do it, that find that narrow gate, live on that narrow path. And by the way, that sounds like such a negative Nelly thing, doesn't it? Narrow path, narrow way. But whose path is it? And, and, and God has one right, he has a right way to do it. And everybody else is wrong. And, and the wage of the sin is death, things die. But, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, a gift, he gives us a gift of eternal life, which isn't a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. So he's the right way. Do y'all want to do it his right way or everybody else's wrong way? Wait a minute, now you're putting it in a different way. No, no, man, no, but that's what he's saying. How many right ways does God have? That's it, his way, my way or Yahweh. <laughs> that's your life decision right there. So the gate is narrow, the way is hard, it leads to life, and those who find it are few. Understand that. It's going to be a lonely path sometimes on that narrow way. Not everyone, look what he says. I skipped a little section of it, but you can read that later, but... He goes on in verse 21 and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So everybody who claims to be a Christian, everybody got baptized, everybody goes to church. In fact, I'm going to tell you something right here based on this scripture that the majority of professing believers are not going to heaven. I'm not judging any of you. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's what this scripture is saying. The majority of professing believers are not going to heaven. And look at this, if you will. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, 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 who are the ones calling him Lord? That's professing believers. 
Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So they're not going to heaven, right? I, I didn't, I'm just saying, whoever qualifies in this. But the one who does the will of my Father who sits in heaven, that's who's going to go. Whoever does it his way on that narrow path, that narrow way that's hard that not many are doing. So it, 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 the rest, they're not going. But look at this. On that day, look what he says. On that day, this is judgment day. Paul says there's a judgment day. You've got to know it so you make the right decisions based on eternity. On that day, what's the next word? Say that again. Many. On that day, there's going to be a couple of folks. <laughs> there's going to be a couple of them church folks. That's not what it says. On that day, well, I want to see where you say church folks. I'll tell you that in a minute. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. He already said most of y'all that say, Lord, Lord, there's a lot of y'all that aren't going to, going to be in the kingdom of heaven. But he said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not, what? In your name. Hey, how many, how many people on CNN and Fox News are prophesying in God's name? How many out in the world uh, are prophesying in God's name? I'm just saying they might be starting to, but in reality, who are the people that are prophesying in God's name? Where can you find them? In the church. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that these are the people that he says are prophesying. You guys were prophesying in my name. I want you to understand who they are. They're church people, all right? And, and casting out demons in your name. Okay, so where do you find people who cast out demons? In Christ's name. You find them in religion, right? You find them in church. These are not people, you go to the bar, okay? Go to the bar, and I'm not saying y'all Christians ain't there either. I'm not. I had enough 30-something uh, years ago. I ain't never touching it again for me. But look at this, man. You go to the bar, you're going to find people prophesying in his name and casting out demons only if they're, that's their ministry. But the average person in the world is not. Go to Walmart. There's not people in Walmart or Target prophesying in the name and casting out demons. This is the church. And look at this. Here's one that we can take to heart because this is how Satan through the Antichrist is going to deceive the world and the world's leaders into following him during the tribulation period because man's so susceptible to this. Look what he says. And do many mighty works in your name. Oh my goodness, if it's a miracle, it's got to be Jesus. If it's a miracle, oh my goodness, this has got to be God. No, no, no. You better check it in context against the word of God. You better have discernment from following God. But just because you see miracles, because you see people casting out demons, and you see people prophesying in God's name, it doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean they're doing it in his name. That's why you got to walk in such a good relationship with him that you can spot it. You know it. You have discernment. We are so lacking in discernment. And I'm not asking you to be a judge. I'm just asking you to be spiritually smart and awake that just because you see this stuff don't mean it's real. Right here, he says, in that day, many who say, Lord, Lord, we're prophesying. We pro didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works? That's miracles. Didn't we do all those in your... And Jesus said, oh, before I get to the next verse, Jesus said, yeah, you're right. Dude, you're right. I forgot about that, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I put you in that line. Let me, let me put you back in my line. Is that what Christ says? No, in fact, look what he says. And then I will declare to them, this is the judge, this is Jesus, 
I never, I never knew you. You might have done all them things in my name, but you and I never had an intimate relationship. That word know is the word gnosko. You know, everybody knows what it meant to know somebody in Bible terms. It means have an intimate relationship. I never knew you. And what does he say? He said, oh, let's get to know each other now. Is that what he says, Brad? No, what did he say? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They were prophesying in his name. They were casting out demons in his name. They were doing mighty miracles in his name. Now, I'm not saying everybody who does those things are wrong, but I'm not saying everybody who does those things are right. In fact, many are going to be doing it. And many are going to be following people who are doing it. And they're going to be eternally wrong. That's the church that's doing this outside of the boundaries of the Word of God. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of law. Wait a minute, aren't I, am I not doing godly things here? Am I not doing these godly? Yeah, but I, I never asked you to do them. I never empowered you to do them. And if I didn't empower you to do them, who empowered the people to do it? How about Satan? Because there's only two powers. And he's under control of God. And God allows this. He's going to allow this. You workers of lawlessness. You didn't do what I asked you to do. So again, what's the real reason why this is not working out for them? Because they never had an intimate relationship with Christ. Like the Jews in Rome, well, I'll have you know, I, I grew up in a Christian family. I have you know, I've been going to church since I was born. I have you know, I got baptized when I was a kid. I'll have you know, I taught Sunday school. I'll have you know, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'll have you know, I can quote all these Bible verses. I'll have you know, I can. And all of that you know about God's word and know about God is worthless until you actually know him. When he pursued you, Barb, now you know him. <laughs> now you know him. And many of you, I have testimony from you, and I've watched and you know him. He's become real to you. You know him. You make sure. And I'm not preaching hellfire and brimstone or whatever because I love it. I want to know that I'm going to see you guys in eternity. This is what's come up in Romans. And man, just because you got religion, you got knowledge, you've been baptized, you've been all these different things does not mean you're saved. What benefits there comes from from being saved I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone, so look at this. What do we do with this now? We're on the home stretch. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, Christ says, and does them. Okay, you know what? Maybe, I, maybe today you're hearing you say, ah, you know what? I think I'm going to swallow some pride. Maybe, maybe I'm going to just make sure I'm saved, you know? I don't know, because last week we talked about how to tell whether you're counting on your own works or you're counting on Christ's works. And what he came down to is that most of your desires, most of your decisions, most of your life is a selfish desire. It's about fulfilling yourself as opposed to bring glory to God. I didn't write that. He did. I'm just preaching it. But maybe you come to a point and said, you know, dude, I just, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. If you want to be sure, that desire is coming from him. Surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. And once you do that, his righteousness is on you. Maybe you know that that's who you are. Maybe that's just the priority that you need to get straight again and start living that and quit living the lie that the flesh in this world brings. 
and live in who he wants you to be. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, look at this, and it's not like you have to muster it up. The word of God just reveals it like a mirror. Again, you can't take the mirror and comb your hair. Who's the only one who can fix your hair? Christ. You see something revealed in the word of God that's wrong? It's a mirror. The only one who can fix it is Christ. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built a house on a rock. And you know this story. And the rain fell. So check this out. On the, the, the righteous and unrighteous, the rain's going to fall. The floods are going to come. And the winds are going to blow. And they're going to beat on the house, whether you're righteous or unrighteous. But it, the house didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. You build your life on Christ on knowing who Christ has made you, knowing who Christ is. Live, you know when there's conviction, you give in. You want, to get, you want to do it your way? Do it your way, but know there's going to be consequences. But when there's conviction and God says, hey, I want you to stop this or start doing this, you, you follow his conviction. You follow him one step at a time, and he empowers you to follow him. He leads you where he wants to lead you, and if you take every step he wants you to take, you'll end up where he wants you to take. But what happens is he says, take this step to either start or stop something. We're like, whoa. And then we go into a little cul-de-sac and do all the religious things we've been doing. Do all those religious things we've been doing, but we don't ever get past the last conviction. When are you going to come past that last conviction? And then start walking with him again. Because walking with him in the cul-de-sacs, walking in circles, man. And I'm there too sometimes. <laughs> Just like you guys. But man, if you want success, <laughs> the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, you hear conviction, you hear something, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Hey, hey, Chuck, is it okay? Uh, if there's no storms, is it cool to have a house on the sand? No storms, no tides, no high tides. It doesn't matter whether it's on a rock or, a or sand, right? It doesn't matter, right? When does it matter? When the storm comes, and he says the storm's coming. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them. Be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell. Here comes a storm. The floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The difference is one was built on Christ and one was not. And the only reason I brought up all those little facets of your marriage <laughs> is because afterwards there's going to... How many of y'all who have been married know there's more facets <laughs> there's more facets, there's then babies, then there's toddlers, then there's, there's, there's kids, and then there's teenagers, and then there's, it's all done once they're teenagers, right? No, it just keeps going, man. There's more facets and more facets, and which facet do you need Christ for? Every one of them. And if you truly are a believer, that's where your heart will be. Your heart wants to do it God's way through every one of those facets. That's where it wants. If it's not, then maybe you're not. And that's what he's trying to tell the Jews here. He's saying, dude, just because you're Jewish don't mean you're saved. Just because you go to church don't mean you're saved. Just because you know Scripture doesn't mean you're saved. Man, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Have you looked in a mirror lately? <laughs> Look in the mirror. And when you see in the mirror and you go, ah, what's the next word? Help. All right? So just to end this, 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little religious aerobics here for a minute. I want you all to look in the mirror and go, ah! I want you to drop the mirror and go, help! Okay? Just so you'll remember this, all right? One, two, three. Ah! Help! All right, all three. Now do one more time. Ah! Help! And as believers, how often do we need to do that, man? All the time, as often as we need to, man. You know, hey, Skylar, I know you've got to go to the bathroom or something, but, you know, one day, hold on, man, you, you can hold on. One day, one day you're going to wake up next to her, and she's just not going to be lovable, and I know that's hard for you to believe, and you're going to go, ah, and then you need to say what? Help. All right, just, just letting you know. Go ahead. Go do what you got to do, bro. All right. Let's bow for prayer. Father, um, Father, we're coming in the name of Jesus, and the only way we can even come and pray to you is because we have the sacrifice of Jesus covering our lives. We don't have a sacrifice worthy enough to offer you. Um, I think the only prayer you really hear from a non-believer is the prayer for help, that they need a Savior. Father, um, I pray that if there's somebody here today that's not positive, I know if they were driving around a city and didn't know where they were going, they would for sure call themselves lost. So, Father, spiritually, I pray if there's somebody riding around in this life not knowing where they're going to go when they leave, they would admit that they're lost. And if their desire is to go to heaven, if their desire is to be with you forever, Father, help them see that you've given them a desire to be with you right now. And all they've got to do is call out to you and say, Christ, come into my life, take over, be the boss. I'm tired of being a boss, just come and take over, and um, I'll follow you. We are saved by grace through faith, but when grace comes in our life, it transforms into good works that Paul says you can judge your status by. So, Father, I just pray you would help each of us who believe we're saved, not doubt our salvation, but, Father, if there's someone here that's maybe, I don't know, the Holy Spirit spoke to them about thinking they're saved because they were baptized or because they were religious or something like that, Father, I pray that you would speak deep down in their heart and either let them know for sure they're saved because they're truly trusting Christ or that they're not saved and they need to get saved. For those of us that know that we know that we know, there's been evidence, there's been fruit in our life we, your righteousness has been applied and we've seen it in action. Father, help us to represent you better by looking in the mirror and when we are convicted, saying, ah, and then asking you for help, asking you to do it in us because our flesh is dead. It can't do anything. It was killed on the cross. But now it's you, Christ, that lives in us. And we want to see you work in us and through us. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.